What is up, everyone? My name is Danny, and this is the It Makes Sense podcast. Here at It Makes Sense, we address why the Christian worldview is the only worldview that makes the most sense out of life in the universe. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another show. Today, we are doing a bonus episode, so this isn't in the normal stream of things. We, we usually plan those out, but sometimes I'm going to throw in a bonus episode because there's something that I heard that week or something I read that day, and I just want to talk about it. So today, we're going to talk about bamboozled deceptive philosophies. And over the last several months, I've been reading or listening to things, to, to podcasts uh, and reading some books, and they were totally unrelated. I didn't purposely uh, read them or listen to them. I was just sort of led or guided to them. You, you can say a higher power if you want to, or just friends of mine. And these books all sort of had a similar theme. They talked a lot about totalitarianism and authoritarianism. And uh, with those types of topics, you sort of think of about your old school um, communist Russia, your uh, Soviet Union, your communist China, China, and one was a fiction book and one was a uh, nonfiction. And then the other one was a podcast about an event that happened and it was actually in a church. So I want to talk about those today and sort of not give a warning more, more or less, but just sort of bring something up that I think as Christians, we may possibly be again, sticking our heads in the sand. And it, and if you're, you know, I know people are sick and tired of the news today sick and tired of social media at times and Twitter, especially and headlines and stuff like that, just because you see so many negative things happening, but we really need to open our eyes because there are some signs of stuff that's coming and we can look at, you know, revelation and see, you know, what, what signs will be coming for the end times and stuff. And that stuff can be sort of hard to discern and figure out what John was really actually saying. And when's that going to happen? What's it actually going to look like? But I think right now what we're seeing is a, a shift towards what I would say is a post-Christian world um, and also a anti-God culture. So I want to talk about those things, but I want to sort of bring up a quote that I was looking at earlier as I was going through and looking at what I was going to talk about and sort of editing some stuff. And I took a couple of things out because we did actually record this previously, but the um, the, the the recording volume was not actually um, correct. So we, we're going through it again, which is great because I wanted to redo it anyways. <laughs> don't, don't, don't take the blame, Josh. It just happens sometimes. just happens. So anyways, here's the quote. Authoritarian followers generally prefer to subordinate themselves to a large organization within which they have little or no power. This is most commonly a work situation, though there are other suitable environments such as volunteering for a church belonging to a society Etc. Now, I bring this up because what I want to sort of discuss is how can we as Christians be aware when we're being bamboozled, when we are being taken captive by deceptive philosophies? And I'll we'll, we'll talk about Colossians two eight a little bit later, but I want to bring up some situations that in some of these things that I've read and some podcasts I've listened to of things that are that have happened in the past that we should learn from and things that are happening now that we need to take note of, okay? How did Hitler convince so many Nazis, so, so many Germans, to follow his Nazi regime, okay? That was a totalitarian regime. And, and so how did he convince these people to do this? Now, we're not gonna go through all the characteristics of a, of a totalitarian or authoritarian per se, 
But there are certain things that the followers sort of have that is what the person who is sort of seeking to control them looks for, okay? One of those is complete submission, looking for people that are easily moldable. They're, they're emotional. They don't use a lot of their critical thinking skills. And so they're easily, they easily submit to the controlling power, okay, and completely submit. They also bring about an aggression with that. And that aggression is for the person that they're following. So they, they submit, they buy in, and they become pretty aggressive towards whoever it is that they believe to be right. All right. Now, totalitarian is, is completely right, complete control. And, and just to give you an idea, simply said, the difference between authoritarian and totalitarian is authoritarian only goes so far. Totalitarian takes it all away. Complete control of every aspect of the citizen's life. Okay, or the person's life. And I also saw this, I thought this was pretty interesting, a, a meme that sort of said, uh, gave this idea of the difference. Authoritarianism is when the state violates civil rights in mass. Totalitarianism is when your family, friends, and neighbors fervently demand that civil rights be violated in mass and themselves eagerly and righteously enforce it. So is that buy-in of the submissive group of people that have not just bought in in totalitarianism. You're, you're convincing people to be evangelistic and aggressive in how they pursue pushing these ideas that the person that they believe to be the end-all, be-all, you know, right um, versus uh, uh, the wrong, that they're going to push these agendas and they're going to push these narratives and they're going to push these ideas and these philosophies on people, even if it's somebody that's close to them, even if it's if it's a father doing it to a son or a son calling out the father, we saw a lot of this. And there was this indoctrination of younger people and younger people are more impressionable. That's why when we talk about currently situations where teachers are bringing in ideas that are too above and high for a third grader to be able to understand, to be able to comprehend, to be able to think through and process, they just take it as my teacher said, it must be fact. I'm going to believe it. And then they, they embrace that and they, they take that in, process it, and then they start to believe it. And then they start to push it or they start to live that out. Okay. So that is sort of one of those characteristics of a authoritarian or totalitarian person is that they want to, they want to go after and indoctrinate the youth. They're going to attack the religious. They're going to do the best that they can to destroy the family They're going to say, the government is everything that you should look towards for your answers, for your truth, for for all that you need in life. It comes from the the head, the, the leader, the authoritarian, the totalitarian dictator of this government. When you're seeing these types of followers, it typically ends up being people that don't, they can't think for themselves or they choose not to think for themselves or they're in, they're at an age where they're looking for information and for people to give them knowledge as they're growing up. Okay. So young age, kids, young adults that are very impressionable. And when they get, when they start to look at to somebody who they look at as an expert or a leader in their life, a mentor, they are very easily swayed to believe. And that's why you can, you, cult leaders can be very um, influent. They can influence younger people easier because younger people haven't really formed or or have been able to discern those lies from the truth. So they'll listen to somebody who they think is that, that knows what they're talking about, 
and they won't verify anything they're saying because they don't have those critical thinking skills that are really in place. And they just start to abide and obey and do. And then they become basically that puppet to, to push these things for them. And, and it sort of takes away their need to really do anything. The first book that I read was Safely Home by Randy Alcorn. And so up on the screen, this is what it looks like. If you want to get it, it's a great book. It's a, it's a fiction book, but it's got a lot of truth to it. And I'm not going to ruin it for you, but it's basically about two guys. One is Chinese. The other one's American. They become friends uh, through school, through college in the, in the United States. And then they go their separate ways. Now, they take these very different paths. One goes back to China. The other one stays in the United States. He, he has a family. Um, and then the other one has a family. And they have these different ideas of what they want to do in life. Ultimately, though, what it's about is the persecution of Christians in China. And it gives us some very real information that is very accurate to what actually is going on in China today. How the one state, the communist state, of China runs everything. They run the media, they run the schools, they run even the churches, okay? And anybody that tries to step outside of that, particularly somebody who wants to have their own church aside from the theologies of the communist China China churches or the state-run churches, they, they get shut down right away, okay? As you all know, missionaries from the United States that go to China, or from anywhere, actually, they have to go... They can't say where they're at. They can't say what they're doing. And they have to go sort of undercover doing another job or another occupation, whether it's a teacher or, uh, you know, usually a lot of them end up being English teachers. But uh, underneath all that, they're there as missionaries to spread the gospel. And there is this huge, actually a huge movement, huge revival going on in China right now, sort of underground with churches over there. And uh, there, But there's a lot of persecution. And so this book, Safely Home, it sort of expresses the idea of how amazingly it, it gives us an idea of the history of how people in China who were actually in a good position to freely practice their faith in, or any faith ended up in the situation where they had to bow down more or less to uh, Mao Zedong, uh, who was the guy who sort of ushered all this stuff in and had to almost worship him. Like he was the guy that had all the all the right answers. He was making everything happen, and and by basically a iron fist. Okay, millions of people in China died at his hands. But the story is sort of talking about that, and it's really giving an idea of the intense situations that Christians go through. But the point of it is, is like how can so many people in China? We know fear is one. Uh, idea, but a lot of people that do things out of fear tend to stay under the radar and they just do enough to get along, but they're not going out and they're not calling out their family members or their friends and calling the police, you know, or the government on them, telling them to say, Hey, they're this guy over here. Yeah, he's my brother, but he's preaching, you know, Jesus Christ in the gospel. There are some people that didn't do that, but there's a large group of people that just bought into this, this idea. And it, it's really amazing to see how the, the country of China is today where we sort of get this perception of what it is. And it talks about that in the book, this perception of what China wants us to think is going on. But because we know that, you know, people that have been missionaries there or people that have come to the United States from China and tell us, you know, yeah, I was a Christian and this is what I had to go through. I couldn't have a Bible. You know, I, I could, 
I had to sneak sneak Bibles in or I had to, you know, get a chapter from somebody else, you know, and they have created this society of fear that says, if you don't do what we tell you to do, this is the consequences for it. Imprisonment, torture, or death, all right? But if you do what we want you to do, okay, then we'll we'll go ahead and you'll be, you'll there's benefits for that. You know, but if, if you do something wrong, then we'll take away a benefit. You know, there is this idea in the book that sort of tells us it's not what, it's not what the Chinese media wants us, the, the state-run media wants us to, to believe. It's a great book. I, I encourage everybody to read it. Uh, it's very humbling. And uh, uh, the ending is r- truly amazing. Randy Alcorn did a great job. Uh, let's go to the next book. <clears throat> And this one is is nonfiction. It's Live Not by Lies, Manual for Christian Dissidents, Rod Rare. And there's a lot, obviously there's a lot that I don't know in this world. But one of the things that I don't know very well is the history of communism and, and how that came about. But this is sort of centered around Czechoslovakia and how communism came in there and, and the persecution that a lot of the Christians endured there. But it, when it says a manual for Christian dissidents, it's sort of a roadmap that says this is what the hard totalitarianism, which means you were killed, you were thrown in the gulag, you know, um, there was, it was either you do or you're done. Okay. And how the Christians sort of preserved in the younger generations, because that was the same thing. They went after the younger generations. They, they uh, killed many priests and religious leaders, anybody that professed something other than this anti-God or secular ideology, philosophy that was being pushed. The state is the God. The state is the king. The state is the ruler, your end-all, be-all, right? So when this was happening in Czechoslovakia, as this was coming about, one of the the main characters in this book, um, he started to notice this well ahead of time. And so he started to prepare his family, started to prepare the people in, in his city, and started to create this underground following and even when they were thrown in, into the prisons, even when they were, you know, find, seeing their friends and family or people they knew in their town being killed for their faith, they were strong and they still held on. That one is about Russian totalitarianism and this, again, another flood of people that have bought into this idea of giving complete control and power to a group of people to say, run my life, tell me what to do, tell me what to believe, tell me how to live. And, and I will do everything you want me to do, including up to including turning in my own family members. And again, we're talking about mothers and fathers turning on their children. We're talking about children turning on their parents. I mean, this is, this is sort of unbelievable stuff. Like, how could somebody do this to their loved one? And we're not talking about estranged people. We're talking about people that have bought into a very destructive, a deadly ideology, a deceptive philosophy. They've been bamboozled. And it destroys families. It's destroying the the people around them as long as they know that they're doing the bidding of those that they're following. This book, Live Not by Lies, is a non is, is a actual historical account of the the people, the Christians that had to live through this back in those days. But it's also sort of a warning to what's going on in the United States. And it brings up soft totalitarianism where we're seeing our rights of freedom of speech being attacked, freedom of religion being attacked, the Second Amendment and, and a right to bear arms being attacked. Like These freedoms that we are given in the United States, unique to the United States, 
And we're seeing those being attacked. We're seeing indoctrination of kids in schools on various critical theories. We're seeing parents are losing their rights. They're losing their rights to be the parent and to do what's best for their children. There is this attack on family. There's attack on truth. There's attack on Christians and on God. What's brought up in this book is sort of a heads up to what we're sort of seeing now. We need to be on guard. And not only does it tell you as a heads up, it sort of gives you this manual for being a Christian dissident. And the dissident mainly means you're just going against what is being presented to you. You're, you're living out your Christian life regardless of what the state is telling you how to live or telling you not to be that way, not to believe in, in Christianity, not to be a follower of Christ. The next graphic here, and this is, this is actually a podcast, and it, this has been out for a while, and I binge listened to this because it was, at first I sort of resisted it, but a, a buddy of mine was like, hey, you got to listen to it. And I didn't really want to listen to it because I don't, I don't like people attacking preachers because I, I feel like we've got other things that are attacking each other unless there's just been outright, you know, sexual misconduct or other things that are just pretty big, right? Through this, I learned that there's, there's other things that Christians can do to each other besides just sexual misconduct or financial misconduct, you know, things like that. And when I started listening to this, I finally gave in and I started listening to it and I was like, wow, the thing that amazed me the most was how the people of Mars Hill and how those leaders under Mars Hill followed the pastor with such undying devotion. And, and, and that's where I was looking at, I was thinking about the other, the books that we just talked about and how those people in those countries with undying devotion followed the, the leaders of those countries. And then you had this, this small group of people that was trying to fight against that and sort of retain their agency as human beings and not give into this totalitarian, you know, thought process of, I'm told what to do and I have no, um, no free will. Basically I have my choices. I die, I get in prison or I follow the state. Well, with the rise and fall of Mars Hill, the pastor, Mark Driscoll, and you can look him up. He is actually pastoring a church right now in Arizona. He's sort of having some similar issues there, but what really happened with this and why this ended up coming about was when, when he ended up resigning from Mars Hill, which was a church in Seattle, when he ended up taking over, there was these grand, there's a grand vision, but it was sort of like people, especially young men, and his, his message to men and his message is his theology on marriage started off with this like, yeah, we can get on board with this. And these guys were like, this guy, man, he's, he's rough around the edges, but he speaks to, like, speaks to truth. Like, he tells it like it is. And, and there's a lot of people, even some women, just sort of clung to that because they, they were sick and tired of, of sort of the, the churchiness of church and the Christianese that you would hear in this sort of this persona that, that church was giving off during this time. It was the 90s when this church came up. And in all the way into the early 2000s till about 2014, I think, is when it closed down. But there was a point in time, I think it was around 2007, where things started to change. And Driscoll goes from this guy who's sort of anti-megachurch uh, pastor and wants to have accountability or wants to have these people surround him, doesn't want to be the guy. You know, he's an elder amongst other elders in his church. There's a power shift. And... 
this power shift is in favor of him. And now he has this grand vision of 50,000 people. And I think it was 50 churches with a thousand members in each church, you know, and, and it was about putting butts in the seats instead of let's preach the gospel. Let's serve our people. Let's disciple them. Let's help them become evangelists and sharing the gospel. Let's help them become teachers and disciplers of others and mentors, and let's help them grow in Christ. But it became about Mark Driscoll, and he he ultimately became the celebrity pastor. And his downfall wasn't sexual immorality, as far as we know, but it was about this power control that he had and this authoritarian approach that he ended up having towards his church and what he was doing. If you weren't on board, you were kicked out of the church. That's how it ultimately ended up. If you weren't on board, you kicked out church. He even made a comment that he said, there's a lot of bodies behind the bus, which he was talking about how many people they'd kicked out of the church. And he was, he actually, in some of his, his uh, clips that you listen to on this podcast, was excited about kicking people out of the church at times. He was glad to tell people to leave if you don't want to buy into what I'm selling. And it, and it just sort of showed this pervasive um, bullying that he took on, and he he looked at himself as the end all be all. It wasn't it wasn't Mars Hill. It was Mark Driscoll's church. It wasn't Jesus who should be who we're looking at. It was look at me, Mark Driscoll. There's so many things I'm not going to go into, but get, there are so many things that happen, and we get this side of the story of the people in the church on this podcast rather than Mark Driscoll, who after he resigned for two years preached that he was more or less the victim. And, and a lot of people blame the leadership for what was happening and what happened to Mark Driscoll. And so there was this pity party uh, for, for Driscoll. And then for two years, this was going on. And then ultimately, I think 2019, I think this is when this podcast started. I could be wrong. I apologize if I am. But they this was a response to what actually happened. And it is extremely well done. Mike Cosper did a great job. Uh, Christianity Today uh, produced it. And it's, it's extremely well done, and it's, it's really captivating. But it's sad to see all the pain that was in the suffering of the people that just attended the church and some of the leaders that ultimately, like, okay, things are going really off the rails right now. And they were trying to step in. They were trying to make, you know, say, hey, this is what's going on. And as soon as they would step up, boom, they were kicked out. They were done. They were excommunicated in a sense, and, and people were told in a church, don't talk to them. They, they have rebelled or they have sinned or they're, they're living in sin. You know, don't talk to them. And it, it just became this obsession with protect Mark Driscoll, the leaders, especially some of the closer leaders to Mark, protect him at all costs. It doesn't matter what he's saying. To, and they knew, they saw what was happening, but for some reason they had this aggression towards protecting him because where was Mars Hill without Mark Driscoll? That's what they were thinking. And, and it goes to, a lot of people didn't know, but it goes to saying something about us as human beings, how we can be, in the word, you know, the title here, we can be bamboozled by deceptive philosophies. How we can see things happening right before us, and these red flags are all over the place, but somehow we look past them, because we, we think there's an inner good or we think there's something else, but these red flags are screaming, you know, this is bad, don't go that direction, bad, bad, bad. 
but we ignore them because we've gotten so bought in and we've stopped actually thinking about this. We've stopped asking the Holy Spirit to help us through this. We're just listening to the person ahead of us. We're not listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying because the Holy Spirit's screaming, you need to get out. You need to let this go. Or you need to do something about it and expose it. There's a couple other people that in recent years have also have issues. Bill Hybels, he resigned from Willow Creek after allegations of sexual misconduct uh, that were confirmed after an investigation. Now, Willow Creek was a huge church in Chicago, and Bill Hybels was the founder. And not going into the history there, but again, years and years and years of just people just blindly following this guy and knowing that there's these things happening, the ones closest to him saw the red flags, let it happen, let it go. I think there was also some financial um, misappropriation of funds. Then there's James McDonald, fired from Harvest Bible Chapel, also in Illinois, for bullying, sexual harassment, authoritarian behavior, misappropriation of church funds. And then you have people like Ravi Zacharias, who had this large preaching ministry and this organization that was based in apologetics, sort of the, the thing that I love. I, I've learned, I've read a couple of his books. I've learned a lot from Ravi Zacharias, but he dies, and then it finds out that he has been involved in sexual misconduct, and that was confirmed. You see these things, and you see people that just buy in. Now, I didn't know Ravi on a personal level. All I read was his books, and all I listened to was you know things he would say in debates and things like that. So I didn't know him on a personal level. So I'm not, I can't sit there and say that there was... There was something there that people should have seen. But typically in things like this, there is somebody that knows something. And when you just sort of push through that and you you buy in to such a degree that Jesus is no longer the reason and the person that you're protecting is, we've, we've got to step back and we have to, as, as Christians, we have to start to set ourselves up for success and not for failure that we can't look at any person, even if you go to a great church, you have a great pastor, you have a great staff, do not put them to such a pedestal because they're human, just like you. They're fallible. They they are sinful, just like you, okay? There are pastors, I hate to say, there are pastors, preachers, and priests out there that do not know the Lord that are in positions of leadership in churches. Let's not be naive to sit here and think that every preacher, pastor, priest in a leadership position, is a Christian. I'm just going to say it. Because to think that everybody that's in leadership, what type of people are typically drawn to leadership? People that want some type of power and control. Now, that's not saying everybody, but that's the kind of leaders. I always use this example as the person who wants to be the HOA president. Oh, my goodness. That person right there is typically the person a lot of people don't like. I have been in some neighborhoods with some HOAs, and I can tell you third-party HOAs always run it better than people that live in the neighborhood because the, the guy or the girl who is the president typically wants to control everybody's yards. They want to control everybody's cars and the way everything looks and control the money. I was just talking to a friend of mine who had to take over for an HOA because the secretary, uh, the treasurer actually, was taking money, got into a position and was tempted in seeing the money coming in, and she was taking it. And so when we see these types of positions, we have to have this forethought of saying, okay, I, I, I love what my pastor's preaching, and, I, and I've been around him, I see his life, but don't put him on such a pedestal that if he does fall, that you're completely shocked, or you ignore it, 
and you just move past it with Mark Driscoll in this situation, he resigned after it was presented to him that the church, because he told everybody the church wanted to fire him, but the church didn't want to fire him. And, and, and there's records of this in documents and in testimony. They wanted to actually restore him. That's the word I'm looking for. They wanted to restore him back to the position of pastor and leadership. They all loved him, but instead of going through the, the instead of admitting what he was doing and reconciling that, and, and then being redeemed and, re- and restored back to his position, he resigned. He resigned, and he's like, I'm not doing that, and I'm walking away. And the church shut down. Now, a lot of those uh, churches that spun off of it, they, they sort of called them church plants when this all happened. A lot of them are still up and running, but there's a lot of scars. There's a lot of damage, PTSD. And, and there's people that completely, when, when I say deconstruct, I'm saying deconstruct in the sense of, they deconstructed away from God, and no reconstruction happened. They did not use the Bible. They were so torn apart by what Driscoll and the leadership of that church did to them that they completely walked away from God. That's how destructive this was. That's how deep in some of these people were. And, and when you get so far, it's almost no turning back. And that's a scary place to be. That's a very scary place to be. What What's the point of all this? Where have I come to? I, I have come to this question in my head. How do Christians, how are we so bamboozled? What is it about us? Or is it just human beings in general? What is it about us that we just blindly take? And I think this is one of the things, this is one of the knocks that atheists will say about Christians, that we just have this blind faith and we just follow people. And we'll just take anybody's word for it that says anything about Jesus or about God. I'm not saying you have to be in a box to be a Christian. I'm not saying that, but there are certain things. And if we just look like the world and we can't, there's, you can't see a separate separation between you and the world, you need to reevaluate some things. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to show you, reveal to you, what is it in me that is pushing me more towards being worldly than pushing me more towards Christ? But this is sort of what we see in people that lean towards an authority authoritarian leadership or totalitarian leadership. And I would say Mark Driscoll is more an authoritarian uh, um, type of approach to leadership. But it didn't start, it didn't seem to start off that way. We get bamboozled. We lose sight. We put too much worth in humans. Why? I, this is one of the reasons why I started this podcast. I want people to be excited and driven towards God's word. When we're driven towards God's word, we're driven towards other spiritual disciplines that we need in our life. When we get into his word and we are praying about his word, so when we're opening up the book or when we're getting on our phones, whichever, we're looking at this. One of the first things we should do is pray. Pray immediately. God, help me understand what I'm about to read. Holy Spirit, teach me your word. Teach me the knowledge of God and not only teach it for me to have it here, but that it goes down to my heart to a point of application in my life, not just storing it and holding it, but having it here so I will live it out. And if that is the case, I will want to be in church and I want to worship with others. I will want to fast. I will want to sit in solitude and be alone with you. I will seek you. I will look for you in my day. I will have Christian brothers and sisters surrounding me. I'm going to do 
anything and everything I can to be in your presence. But it starts with being in God's word because I know so many people that do all of those other things, but they never get into God's word. And so when they're presented with a lie, they don't know that it's actually a lie. They look at it as like, well, I trust that person. It must be the truth. And they're living off an emotional highs and lows. And so when they're emotionally low, they're going to be looking for something to pick them up. When they're emotionally high, they're going to keep doing whatever it is to keep them high. God's word doesn't care about your feelings. I'll say this over and over again. I know that's a Ben Shapiro saying. He's like, you know, truth doesn't care. Facts don't care about your feelings. And he's right. The Bible doesn't care about your feelings. God cares about your feelings, yes. But he had the Bible written so that we could look to his truth and to his word. So when our feelings and our heart was trying to deceive us, we can look into his word and get a baseline. And we can be balanced again. And we can be brought from here down to our baseline. Brought from here up to our baseline. And then we can see when people are deceiving us. We can see or hear when words are not truth. We can catch the red flags and then have the courage and the strength to stand against them and to stand up against them and to tell anybody, even if they say, kicked out of my church, I'll buy, I'm gone. That's fine. If that's how you're going to be, it's hard. You know, some of those people, I was like, wow, they got kicked out of the church. That was a good thing for them. But they're friends. They were so deep in, although their friends, their kids grew up in that church. Their, some of their family was in that church. They were told not to talk to them. They lost everybody. That's how deep in they were. You can't get that deep. You can have your friends. You can have your relationships. You can, but you still have to have God first. And you have to be able to step back and look to see what's really going on if there is indeed something going on. That's how we get bamboozled. We don't know God's word. And we don't ask the Spirit to help us discern the lies from the truth. We don't ask the Holy Spirit to take this knowledge and turn it into wisdom. When we don't read God's word, when we're not studying it, I'm not saying just read it. When we're not studying it, when we're not trying to look at, you know, the, the Greek or the Hebrew, and I know that sounds crazy or anything, but it's easier now than ever before to be able to look and do a word study, to get the right definition of a word in its original language. It's easier than ever to look at a commentary and to help us build the context of a chapter of a book that we're reading in the Bible. We have more access to knowledge through various tools, through the internet, than we've ever had before. And there's more, um, there's more advances in knowledge, of, of biblical knowledge specifically, through archaeology, through philosophy. There's all these things that, we're, that the Bible is being confirmed through. And we're looking and we're like, okay, why aren't we starting there? So Colossians 2.8 gives us a heads up. It tells us, it tells us straight up, right here, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And that's, what, that's where we go wrong. Leaders that want control are going to find people that want to be controlled. And typically they're younger, impressionable, and just hungry for somebody to give them attention. That's not all the way. That's not them all the time. But that's the larger group. That's the, that's the larger group of people. We see governments doing that. They've done it in the past. We just talked about that. There's pastors that do this. We have to be careful of that. But we also, as adults in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, also have to continuously be in God's word. 
you read that Bible a thousand times and then keep going from front to back if you got to. But know it and know it and be prepared to step back and go, that's not right. I know it's not right because God's word says this and you're saying that. You, we can argue all day long about the gray areas and you can be, you know, argue about Calvinism versus Arminianism and you can argue whatever. Okay. There, there are some gray areas and there's probably some big things in there that you can say, well, no, Danny, we, that has to be discussed. Okay, fine. But why is it people at a church like Mars Hill that was growing and, and just expanding and going through some great things all of a sudden, just like that shut down? and lives were ruined. One person got to walk away from that unscathed, and he's still preaching at another church in Arizona. It just burns me to no end. While the other leaders all have had to apologize, ask for forgiveness, and go through that terrible and horrible thought that they were the reason why a lot of people turned away from God completely, and they have to deal with all that. They're reminded constantly. I'm sure it wasn't easy to even be a... um, a person interviewed on the podcast, and many of them were. And some of them, their stories were pretty rough. So don't be bamboozled. Don't give in to the deceptive philosophies. You've been warned right here. There are people out there with empty philosophies, even ones that sound like they're very Christ-like. You've got you to have your, your, your radar up, the Holy Spirit. That's who, who, who's my radar. Holy Spirit's got to be up. And don't just give everybody, you know, carte blanche and just say, you know what, whatever, blanket. Here it is. You're just going to cover me, and I'm going to take everything you say as gold. Because that, that's your first mistake right there. Before you know it, you, you've been sucked in, and you're stepping back after all the damage has been done while the other person's walking away, and you're going, man, I have really hurt some people by defending this person who I thought was speaking God's truth. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Don't be that person. I hope that you guys get these books and you sort of read what's what the, these stories tell. They're really, really good. Um, I think we as Christians, we, we have a lot of stuff that's going to be happening that's going to make our lives a little bit more difficult if they're not already. Anyways, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Rumble, or anywhere you download your audio podcasts. Like, share, follow. Give us a comment, maybe a review. They do reviews? Yeah, do a review. Let people know, know, know about us. But I appreciate you listening today, and I hope there's something here that you'll be able to take back with you and, and really think about. God bless. <laughs>